Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy, oh my gosh, week of ministry. I did the (laughs) moment of sanity so well. Yes, you did. You're (laughs) insane for doing it so well. We've both worked in ministry for over 20 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we are ready to bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has. Well, great. So today we are actually joined with the... Everett the, Fritz. The Everett Fritz. I get a V in front of my name. Wow. Sounds like I'm infamous in, or something. <laughs> in our hearts. In ours alone. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, who are you? What do you do? And uh, and then we'll dive into our topic. Well, I yeah. Uh, I run a, a founder of an organization called St. Andrew Missionaries, uh, which exists to... Um, really helped the church rethink the way we're doing ministry with young people uh, because our, our young people are in crisis. I advocate for small group uh, youth ministry. Previously, I've worked for Augustine Institute and Y Disciple, uh, 14 years experience in, in youth ministry. Uh, and the thing I'm most proud of is husband and father of uh, three wonderful children. So uh, I live in Denver, Colorado, and uh, I'm a speaker, author, and wonderful at all things that I do. So <laughs> and humble and humble and handsome too. The most humblest. Yeah. <laughs> so in in uh, in sales and marketing, there's a, a little red book, the little red book of closes, or the little bit red book of sa- sa- selling. And uh, you actually have the little red book of youth ministry, a yeah. small group focused um, youth ministry. Wonder if I have and, it lying uh, around here somewhere. Um, <laughs> I can hold it up. Oh, great. There it is. Look yeah, at that. So, yeah, the little red book of youth ministry. Um, yeah. So I wrote a book. It, it came out a couple of years ago and it, it kind of developed a cult following. It's called The Art of Forming Young Disciples, uh, Why Youth Ministers Aren't Working and What to Do About It, available through Sophia Institute Press. Um, and uh, the book was really, it was almost like a, it, I was kind of in a phase of my life where I didn't know if I was going to continue in ministry. I was kind of at a crossroads. And it was like my swan song. I was like, well, here's all the things I think are, are wrong with, with youth ministry. And this is either going to um, strike a chord in the church or uh, it's going to ruin my career. <laughs> because. <laughs> um, and I really thought that I was like, when I published it, I was like, oh my gosh, did I just really make a big mistake? Um, I by publishing this book because I, I point out here's the things that, that I think we're doing wrong um, with young people. And in particular, I shine a lens on, on uh, a lot of the parish models of, of youth ministry, the youth group model, uh, large group gatherings and the like, and, and different things of that nature. And, and uh, Catholic schools, I think of my Catholic school chapter is called Catholic education. It's a train wreck. Um, and <laughs> that was my experience growing up. Now that's not the case in all Catholic schools, but uh, there's a lot of, a lot of challenges there. And like you said, you thought this was your swan song. Cause when you point right. out to people what they're doing wrong, usually yep. they cast you aside. Right. And then, <laughs> you know, in the final you. several chapters, I give, I give kind of my thesis for what I think is, and my anecdotes for what I think is, is going right with regards to ministry with young people in particular, I advocate for small group mentoring um, and uh, really trying to shrink ministry down to the lowest uh, common denominator, which is ministering to one person uh, at mm. a time. But yeah, when you, when you start to, I mean, I, I had several publishers rejected and I realized that one of the reasons why the book was rejected and then eventually I landed with Sophia, who's been wonderful. Uh, but one of the reasons why it was re- rejected is because it's like, they've got curriculum to sell. They've got mm. their own models to sell. And when you're calling out the things that they're trying to sell, it, it doesn't go over well. So anyway, it was it was interesting, but it, it, it actually it blew up more than I thought it would. So uh, it developed a bit of a cult following. 
the concept of the book or the kind of the, the catalyst behind it is that, okay, so the fruits of the way that we've always done things are not, uh, are not as, as fruitful as they used to be. They're not, they're not bearing the same fruit, and arguably we can't measure it as successful any longer. And so typically what people do is they're like, okay, well, then we're going to polish it. We're going to make it better. We're going to make it bigger. This is the issue. Let's just keep adding to it. We add more to it. And, uh, and, and, and the topic that I want to touch on today, not in regards to youth ministry, but in regards to ministry as a whole, bigger is not always better. Bigger is not always better, or bigger is not better. I mean, not always better, but bigger is not better. It's great to have a lot of numbers and different things like that, but here we are in the midst of a pandemic, and our numbers have been hit in every single area. Anywhere there's a number, it is smaller. Anywhere. And uh, and, and, and now we're questioning, <laughs> yeah, now we're questioning whether or not our ministry is effective whatsoever. Right. And so I, I wanted to dive into that. So for, for these parishes, you know, the, the average parish in the United States is about 1,200 families, uh, which puts it at about, what, 3,800 members, which is the threshold of what would be considered a megachurch in a Protestant realm. You know what I mean? So the average Catholic church is a megachurch. It's bigger. What are the challenges there? What are your thoughts? I'll say something controversial real quick in, in that, uh, you know, for all of the, I, I don't want to say complaining, but there's been a lot of complaining in particular in social media about the fact that the sacraments aren't available to us uh, during this time where they were heavily restricted. Uh, and for the fact that the church was, uh, churches physically were closed. Um, and for, for all of that challenges and, and not to set aside the incredible grief of, of, uh, and the, that the pandemic has brought with death and uh, the economy crashing and et cetera, all of that aside. So I want to contextualize my a statement. highly qualified statement. Yeah, highly statement qualified is statement. highly qualified. But I would say that the pandemic has been a gift to the church. Mm. Um, so all wow. of that within the context of what I, what I'm, uh, uh, you know, uh, but there, there is a, a reality to the pandemic has exposed what we were doing wrong in ministry. Um, and so we're seeing the numbers crash, which is great because those numbers were never there to begin with. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times in, in my years of, of youth ministry for 14 years, taking large groups of, of young people to large conferences or to World Youth Day or to different things, all great events, all can uh, be a, a step along the journey for a person um, coming to their into their faith, uh, but they would come back and the, the, you know, I would talk to a pastor and they'd be like, look at all these kids, look at all the energy. This is what we need to be doing in the church is more of this. It's like, no, look just a little bit further past those numbers. And you realize that's a spark. That conference is a spark or that retreat is a spark. But, um, you know, the fact that you've got 200 kids in your confirmation program, isn't a measure of success. You know, the fact that you have, um, 2,000 kids at a youth conference getting real excited about their faith isn't necessarily a measure of success if they go back to a church and there's nothing for them um, or there's nothing that's feeding them. You know, the measure of success is whether we're making lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. And the stats uh, have, like, overwhelmingly been proven for decades that we're not, um, in particular with young people. And and so um, because, like, now – all these large group things have been taken away from us. Churches are being forced to reevaluate and look at what is it that we're not doing right. And some of them are, are crashing and burning. And I'm like, great. You know, hopefully we can expose those who aren't doing good ministry. But some people are thriving right now because they're rethinking the way that they do things. Um, and, uh, 
and like I was just talking, we were just talking to you right before we hit record button, and you were saying that to to your parish, uh, you had made the advice. You said, "Look, Father, like this year we have to focus on the domestic church. Throw out all the programming we've done before, and r- totally rethink the way that we support the domestic church, meaning the family." And I think that that's a beautiful thing. It's like, okay, this is, year is going to look different. So our ministry, ministry being by definition meeting the needs of a person. Um, our ministry needs to look different. What are the needs today, and how do we meet those needs? And you would argue that even if there wasn't a pandemic, mm-hmm. that that would still be true. That it would be like, yeah. no, we the big the big box programs. If if it's focused on a program instead of focused on the individual then we need to rethink the why behind the what. Yeah, I mean, some of the best big box programs that I know, like in their training, they will advocate for meeting the needs of a person and that it's really relational in ministry. But, you know, so many of the parishes or or churches that buy the big box programs, they just implement the program. And it's like the program doesn't make disciples. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's an exercise that I take uh, youth ministers through or, or catechetical professionals through if I'm giving a seminar. And I, I typically give it in the first session that I do. I say, look, reimagine your ministry with me for a second. Imagine your pastor came to you tomorrow and said, everything that's part of your job description, the programs that you run, the uh, you know conferences and retreats, whatever the case would be, all of that is no longer your job, somebody else's job. Uh, and he says, I'm, I'm giving you a new job description and I'm uh, doubling your salary. Uh, so as basically I'm saying this job is more valuable and because of it, I'm going to compensate you because it is so valuable. Your new job description is to make one saint. That's it. You can pick one person in the community, uh, whether they're far along in their faith or non-existent in their faith. And your job is to figure out how it is that you're going to accompany that person and help them to become a saint. What would your ministry look like now? Uh, and the reason why I take them through this exercise is because the way that they think about ministry now entirely changes. So much of what we do in the church is a Sermon on the Mount mentality, where we look at right. the crowds of people that we have to minister to. and We're like, look at all these people. And so immediately we think of, how do I minister to all of these people at once? Because I have this huge responsibility. And Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't look into the crowds and say, how do I minister to all of these people? Because the, ultimately the Sermon on the Mount was unsuccessful. The only reason we know what was written down in the Sermon on the Mount was because of the 12. Like Jesus's primary ministry was the 12. And even among the 12, he had three. And even among the three, he had one. Like Jesus thought process when he goes to change the entire world is not how am I going to convert the world? It's how am I going to convert Simon to Peter? And once he figures that out, then he's like, now, how do I convert Simon to Peter? And then uh, James and John as well. And then the 12 and then the 72 and so on and so forth. Well, and I, I absolutely love that uh, that challenge, that that proposition, make one saint. Because if I went into my position in youth ministry with that mentality, I would say, okay, this one person needs a tribe around them. So now they need a small group of people that they can journey together and grow together. And now I'm and now I'm focused, and I'm thinking thinking small to accomplish something big. Right. Well, as soon as your mindset turns to how do I make one saint, the way that you invite changes, the way that you um, uh, support a person changes, the conversations that you have changes, the environment that you meet in changes. Uh, like everything about your approach changes when you're focusing in on one person. But your your mindset immediately moves to what it should be, which is how do I meet the needs of this one person to get them to where I want them to go. 
that's hugely different than the mindset that we typically take when we have large groups of people to minister to. It's more along the lines of how in the world am I going to keep 500 people's attention for an hour? You know, well, and that's just it. Like, it, it, like we feel like our job descriptions are how do I make 500 saints or right. how do I make right. 100 saints? And it's like that's really not the job description, you know. No. Um, and and no. so then the next question is like, okay, great. You know, there's more than one kid in my program. Like I've got, or one person in my program, I've got to make that person a saint, but then I've also got to work on everybody else too, or work, you know, walk alongside them. Like, what do I do that? How do I do that? Like, what does that look like? It can't be done. Yeah. I mean, by you alone yep. is, is the, uh, is the difference that, I mean, it, when you really think about it and you're like, okay, what does it take to make a hundred saints more than you? <laughs> like that's Amen. what it takes. Um, so, uh, you know, and this is where, uh, you know, the latter half of my book, uh, I feel like I'm just pitching my book right now, but the latter half of my book, I, I talk about the, the experience that I've had doing small group ministry for the last nine or 10 years with young people. And really the, the revelation that I came to that, oh, I can't make a hundred saints. Uh, I might be able to make 10 at mm. most with the attention that it takes to really pour into a person, which means that I've got to pour my attention into raising up other adults like myself to really adopt and take on 10 more youth. And so our mm -hmm. small group ministry, I mean, our youth ministry turned from large group meetings into uh, weekly small groups that met on their own. And we had, you know, 10 or 12 small groups with a couple of adults pouring into teenagers over the course of four to five years. They would be with these teens and these teens alone. Um, and the the differences were night and day. Uh, I'll give you a quick, quick uh, uh, actual like study that was done. So uh, one of the first groups that I worked with was a, a Catholic high school in uh, Iowa uh, when I was starting my own ministry coaching. Um, and they wanted to launch small group ministry in their Catholic high school. My experience was primarily, was entirely parish. So I was like, well, I don't know what this high school thing looks like in terms of the school model, but we'll, we'll try it. And so they put, they put money behind it and they hired somebody to come in and we did training and they were gung-ho. They did a phenomenal job. Within three years now, they have 30 small groups in their Catholic high school and over 300 students voluntarily participating uh, in in being mentored on a weekly basis by an adult mentor uh, with them and their friends. But what was really interesting is that uh, this past year, they uh, hired a third party firm, one that wasn't Christian. So they intentionally sought out like a uh, secular uh, third party firm to go and evaluate where the students that came out of these uh, small groups are at after a year of college. So they're three years past uh, starting these small groups. Now their first class has finished up their first year of college. And we know that the vast majority, something like 80% of young people uh, leave their faith by their, you know, with after their first year of college. And so they were looking for certain markers. Are they um, going to mass every week uh, on Sundays? Are they involved in their campus ministry? And uh, I think there was, there was something else in terms of a, like a, a third marker to identify. And they had to hit all three markers to be identified or defined as an active Catholic. Do you know what the, the figure was in terms of the study of how many of the young people that came out of their small groups um, were still active Catholics af af after their freshman year of college. No you idea. Want to take a guess. Ninety-five percent. Holy crap! What? Yeah, ninety-five percent were still ridiculous. defined as active I Catholics. It. I don't believe yeah. it. I mean, it's, it was, I, I would, that blew me away. I was like, I was, I may have said like 60, 70%. Yeah. Would be I'd really been happy with 50. Well, I mean, honestly, with the, with the way that, that typically it's like 10% is, yeah. is the number. And, yeah. uh, and so, you know, if you, 
if you had said 30%, that would have been considered a success. Absolutely. 95%. I mean, it's like you, you found the Holy Grail of ministry. It's like, okay, they poured into young people uh, with a couple of adult mentors and their friends for four or five years. Yep. And it made a, a world of difference. A quick uh, other anecdote. I know we don't have a ton of time, but um, I was, uh, a, when I was traveling around um, starting to fundraise for my ministry, I stayed with some family members. One, one of them had a bunch of teenagers that they lived with. And I, I knew that their teenagers were not participating in youth ministry at their parish. And I asked them, I was like, Hey, why don't you go to your youth group? And they were like, Oh, it's, it's not really my thing. Like, it's just not, you know, I'm not really uh, up for it. And I was like, just out of curiosity, if it were me and I just went up to you and I said, Hey, uh, like if you and your friends just want to go out for pizza every Friday night um, and just talk about faith and life and whatever, would you do that? And they're like, Oh, I'd do that in a heartbeat. Uh, like the teens were like the, the teens that I talked to. And I, this is far from an isolated incident. If I talk to teens that aren't participating in their youth group, I'm like, what would happen if our, your youth group just looked like you and me going out to pizza with a few of your friends? They were like, I'd do that in a heartbeat. Yep. We overthink the way that ministry needs to be done. Ministry is relational in nature. Yep. I mean, I'm on a soapbox. So. No, 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 you're fine. No, it, it, yeah. you're on a pizza box. It <laughs> sounds like an advertisement for pizza yeah. at this point. Like, that is the solution. Scott so, Hahn taught us, when I was a student at Franciscan, Scott Hahn, who you would think would say the, the best evangelization tool in the church is the Bible or something of that nature, or the covenant theology or whatever. He told our class the best evangelization tool in the church is pizza and beer. Mm. Uh, and uh, that's always stuck with me. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, funny. it's, uh, we overcomplicate things sometimes in ministry. Yeah. Amen. The, uh, one of the things that people will run into, and this is just getting on the practical side of things. So if like, I don't know if on this short little pitch, you guys are all sold on small group ministry. A lot of people that are already listening are already sold on it and have been for, for years. Implementing it is work and it is hard, you know, and you are going to, it's going to take time. You're not going to go from zero small groups to 30 in a year. It's going to take three years, you know, probably to get to that point. Um, but then also there are the hurdles, you know, potentially of your diocesan, you know, safe safety guidelines, you know? Um, and I actually, I, I want to share this in the notes somewhere, but I went last year through multiple dioceses that were all offering or allowing small groups in some way or another. And I, I put together kind of a, a good guideline that diocese could actually um, take on and say, this is our, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to allow you follow these guidelines and you can do small groups and multiple dioceses um, from my experience have said, yes, that's, that's what we need in order to allow for small groups to happen. And I think ever, you may have even been in on that conversation when I was talking about this, because we ran into this last year when we started forming our first small groups um, at our parish is that the pastor we know was very hesitant to do this and so then i had to go to the diocese to get approval and, and stuff like that so i'm going to share that in the notes because that's honestly most ministries that's the biggest hurdle to get over is you know making sure that we follow safety guidelines for the diocese but if it's not even like one of my thoughts is that this can be something that's done by the parents like if we have parents listening that aren't necessarily like your kids are not part of a small group find a trusted adult and ask them to lead your kids in a small group. It's not hard, and that that there's no regulations around that. <laughs> like right. it's not part of the youth ministry program. The the parish and the diocese can't say anything to you about not doing that because right. you're the parent forming your kid. 
get you this already book. do it. Yeah, absolutely. You already do it. Yeah, you do it with, with your kids' sports teams and barter this. You do it like, with your, your kids' friends. Like it already exists. And not just like so. Trade I'm off. I'm literally with doing parent. that. Right. I'm literally doing that in the fall for my uh, oldest child, who's now yeah. twelve. I did the same thing. I was like, hey, I found two people to do a small group for my son, and now I'm like, I want to make myself available to run a small group for another family. You know, because me running the small group for my kid, probably not the best thing. Um, I'm already involved in his life. I'm already forming him in, in specific ways, but it'd be good for him to have his own group. So, like, it wouldn't be hard at all for you to find a parent to run a small group for your kids and you run a small group for their kids. Like, just trade off and, and get it done because it needs to be done. Right. And there's a chance that in this time of COVID, there's already people that are on your, uh, what someone called it, quarantine <laughs> like the team of people that you already allow your into your household and things like that to where like look within the domestic church and then the extension of the domestic church um uh, don't always look to the church like your parish to uh provide the solution in fact that's one of the beauties of, of this is that like uh, parish ministry has always meant to be secondary, except for, of course, sacramental prep and liturgy, right? Everything else was meant to be secondary. What we do in faith formation or in youth ministry should be secondary to the primary work that happens in the home. And now that 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 is clear now more than ever. Um, and, and so we have, we not only have permission, we don't need to ask permission, and we have an imperative by the fact that we're baptized to be able to do this. Yeah. I'll I'll say real quick because you mentioned you're like you, you're not going to get to thirty small groups in in a year. It might take three years. No, you may never get to thirty small groups at all. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, you know I think sometimes we need to rethink what success looks like for a parish that isn't doing effective youth ministry. Meaning nobody's coming out of the program as lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. If you start one small group and that's all you ever get off the ground, but those those five kids in the small group become lifelong disciples, you've now um, you know multiplied your success by five. Uh, so now you're, do, you're doing more effective ministry. I've talked to multiple pastors who, when I start a process with them to start to evaluate, okay, where do you find mentors, for example, who are capable of mentoring young people? And, and I feel like we're harping on small groups uh, for young people, but small groups are effective across the board um, uh, for all ages. And yep. anyway, look, I, I, was talking to uh, I've talked to several pastors and we, I say okay start to make a list of people you know who you think would do a phenomenal job of witnessing their faith to young people and being uh, someone who's enjoyable to hang out with and he's like I can't think of anyone and I said okay then you can't do youth ministry and he's yeah. like but I really want it he's like we need to be doing youth ministry I was like nope you can't do it it's nope. impossible yep uh, I said you need to be focusing in on your adults because if you don't have a single adult who can witness their faith uh, in a way that is inspiring the young people and be someone that they want to hang out with, um, then you've got a much bigger problem than the fact that your young people are leaving the church. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I was like, you need to find five adults then that you can pour into and mentor them to become lifelong disciples. I had a conversation with a nun in Ireland um, who we were talking about how to get this started and she was working on diocese level and she said look i'm in ireland i'm a missionary um here so she was american and there as a missionary and she said uh, there might be five or six people that i've identified in the entire diocese that are disciples of jesus christ which doesn't sound it, honestly that's ireland for you right wow. now i mean there, wow. there's no surprise that ireland legalized abortion with like an 80 percent vote uh it's yeah uh it's not a catholic country it is pagan to the core right now um 
and uh, the Catholic Church has been sick there for a long time. We just so lost I was like, all of our Irish listeners. Right. I'm no, if I'm if I'm if I'm saying this and you have Irish <laughs> listeners, they're agreeing right now. They know what their what their uh, challenges are, and so she's like, "I might be able to identify five people in the diocese." And I said, "Great, then you know what five people to start with." Uh, so I, you know, the reality is, no matter where you're at in the scope of ministry, you can start one small group um, with five people. Uh, whether it's young people, adults, whatever the case may be, but there's always a simple starting point when you're starting small. Yeah. And so uh, the National Catholic Register released uh, here in June an article called uh, Small is Beautiful, How Small Groups Can Transform Large Parishes. And they surveyed those who were in small faith communities or small groups. And 80% of them said that their faith grew or increased during the COVID pandemic. In other words, your spiritual formation, your spiritual um, growth and health is not solely dependent upon the parish, which a lot of people think it is, right? And so now we've taken some of those things away. The pandemic has, has required an adjustment. And it's like, oh, my prayer life is really hard because I can't go to mass or I can't go to adoration or whatever it is. And it's like, hold on. Like, even in this time, we can still grow and we can still share and we can still experience the love of God because of the communities that exist there. Yeah, but I, a lot of us don't have those communities. I mean, honestly, it, the church is supposed to, according to my ecclesiology classes, church is supposed to be communio, uh, which means it is the mystical body of Christ and it is the people of God. Um, right now, the source and summit of our faith is the Eucharist. It is the sacraments. It is uh, that the grace with which God has given us. Uh, and that has been heavily restricted, if not taken away from us. Um, does that mean that the church stops? Heck no. Uh, you look at, um, I said this on another podcast, it's, it's uh, all the podcast interviews that I do is a blur now, but um, <laughs> there's, I said this on another uh, uh, podcast that you look at St. At Paul. St. Paul uh, wrote several of the epistles when he was in prison, uh, which means right. that, uh, you know, he was the greatest missionary the church has ever seen. It went all over the world, spreading the gospel. Um, he got thrown into prison for it. And his mindset didn't turn to, well, now the church is over. I can't mm. do what I was doing before. His mi mindset turned into, well, my ministry has changed. And he started yeah. writing. I guess I'm uh, writing and, letters and, now. <laughs> and I guess I'm writing letters now. And now they're in the Bible and they've fed the church for 2,000 years. He became more fruitful mm. as a result of um, uh, being thrown into prison and restricted in his ministry than not. Uh, I look at somebody like Maximilian Colby, who had no access to the master of the sacraments when he was in um, Auschwitz for eight months. Uh, but his his mindset when he moved to Auschwitz and he uh, pastored there for eight months, it wasn't just that he laid down his life for one prisoner. He was a phenomenal witness to the faith for eight months. His mindset just turned to, well, my parish has changed. My parish yep. is now this camp, you yep. know? So uh, that's that's the mindset we have to have in, in ministry is it's like, okay, how do I meet the needs of our, our people? Overnight, the, the needs of the world changed. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you're not sitting back and saying, okay, well, what does the ministry look like now? Let me reimagine things. Then we're probably doing it wrong. Like you yep. should be reimagining right now. And when we reimagine, re we need to think small. Yep. That's, yeah. yeah. One of the yeah. things that you've said, uh, everything, and, and I said on previous podcasts was, what this has done is exposed a truth that has been there, you know, for a long time, you know, that, you know, we can't be lulled into this false sense of security because the seats are full, right? you know, because the seats aren't full and they won't be full when it opens back up. Nope. Um, it's exposed a truth that 
you know, some of us and many of us have known for some time, but it's, it's going to be like, Oh wait, like I, I feel like, you know, the, everything has changed, not just because of COVID things changed years ago and they just didn't look like they had changed for so long. But now that change is obvious in the way we do ministry is different, not just because of COVID. It should have been different 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, but we just weren't uh, awakened to the issue until I think until now, you know, it's going to be very obvious how, how much things need to change. You know, it's amazing how God will take it. Uh, my son was just asking me this yesterday, like, why is God allowing this to happen? I'm like, you have to realize that, uh, that God doesn't want us to suffer, but he allows it because he knows of the resurrection that comes on the other end of it. You can look at time periods in the church where it's like the Protestant Reformation was, was at a, a terrible impact on the world, but it gave us the Council of Trent. And that council wouldn't have happened had it not uh, it exposed had the Protestant Reformation not exposed all of the the problems and challenges, and it really came to a, the forefront. Vatican Council too, the the fallout from Vatican Council too, it, it drives me crazy when I hear Catholics say, "Oh, the Church went bad with Vatican Council too." It's like, no, the Church was bad before that. <laughs> Vatican Council exposed it all. It's not like the 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 1960s just came out of nowhere. You know, yeah. that all was there. Like that that uh, heresy and that. A lack of fidelity to the church and that lack of catechesis that all was there prior to Vatican Council II, and then the fact that a Vatican Council happened, really the 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 uh, documents of the council is the solution to what they knew was coming. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we got a couple minutes left. Um, anything that we like? Any closing thoughts, Chris or Everett? You get me going. I can talk for hours. Oh, okay. I know. Well, it's at the dangerous. same time, ready go. <laughs> I- <laughs> I, I would love just to talk about the, the there needs to be a priority on domestic church and strengthening domestic church. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about small group, I think that uh, married couples groups or small faith sharing communities um, where you can share life together, not just share a study together, but share life together. What happens when someone loses a job? What happens when someone gets sick? We literally are a part of that and uh, someone changed jobs. They're moving their home. And so I can hear my kids downstairs cleaning, quote unquote cleaning. Um, In about 15 minutes, their kids are going to come over to our house so they can go home and pack their house without their kids there. Like that's what God wants us to do is to open our lives to each other. But he doesn't want us to open our lives to... 1200 people in these big, big programs, it's got to be smaller. So find your few and journey with your few. Yeah. Well, I echo that. I think that, that that's dead on is that there is a, uh, if, if there's anything, the reason why I said at the beginning of the controversial statement, the pandemic has been a gift to the church is that if you haven't taken a step back and said, let me evaluate what the needs are around me and how I can help the help with those needs. And I think that as a community, hopefully we do that all the time where we say, What's my neighbor struggling with? But uh, this is the way that the church should be operating uh, on a daily basis is evaluating what's the needs of my community and how do I go out and meet those needs? There's a reason why we do homeless ministry to spread the gospel. Uh, It's because it is uncharitable and unloving and quite frankly, ineffective to go up to a homeless man and say, here, let me share with you the gospel message Mm. Um, and then not give him something to eat because his felt need is I'm hungry and he's not going to listen to a word you say about Jesus Christ until he's got food in his belly. Uh, So there is, uh, uh, 
a great need in the church right now to look around at your in, the individual people, and that can only be done if all of us are doing it. Um, but there's a great need right now for the church uh, domestically, on a parish level, on a diocesan level to say, oh, finally, what are the needs of our people? Let's throw out the program and let's evaluate how we can actually meet those needs. Amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Let's continue this conversation online. When this episode hits, we'll make sure that Everett, Everett is online um, to uh, hopefully ask some questions, answer some questions, stuff like that. Send any feedback you have to MLA at ablaze.us and share this podcast with someone. And then last but not least, Everett, if they uh, they want to ask you any other questions, how do we find you? How would they find you? Oh, well, that's great. Thanks for directing people to my merch table. Uh, there is, <laughs> you can find me on Facebook, Everett Fritz. Go to my page, not my personal profile, because if you friend request me and I don't know who you are, I'm going to delete your friend request. Uh, so go to the Facebook page, Twitter I'm on. I just relaunched my Instagram page. Uh, and then uh, I have a website called EverettFritz.com and an organization that you can find at standrewmissionaries.org. Uh, my book, The Art of Forming Young Disciples, is available through Sophia Institute Press, or you can find it on Amazon. I've got several other books as well. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much, Everett. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. So take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders and to think small. We will see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless. God bless.